The 2023 elections in Nigeria is just around the corner. We now have prospective candidates declaring interest. Well, it's the same old people. Literally old people. Tinubu, who is probably in his 90s or 100s, but he claims to be in his 70s, I don't know why. Atiku, who was the vice president of Nigeria when we first gained, when we first started our democracy in 1999. Crazy, huh? And really a bunch of other people. It's weird that our democracy seems to just be turning around in circles. Well, we all know that we're running a kleptocracy in Nigeria, not a democracy. I guess the question is, how do we turn it around? Hi, I'm Chuka. Welcome to Adjunct. Wikipedia explained ecleptocracy as also a fivocracy, literally fivocracy. Well, like the name implies, it is ruled by thievery and by corruption. If, regardless of where you live or where you are in the world, if you do not realize that Nigeria is essentially running a thivocracy, then I should question if you truly live on Earth or if you live on Mars. Because it's pretty much common knowledge, right? How the one-time giants of Africa have suddenly become literally insignificant in global politics, in global economics, in global geopolitics. All because we lack good leaders. Well, and good institutions. And good judiciary. Get the, you get the drift. Uh, Ecleptocracy is ruled by corruption. Ecleptocracy, that's the milder word for it. And it's a system where there's systemic, often state-sanctioned corruption. Where corruption is ingrained, embedded in the entire democracy or political structure of, of the nation. And in Nigeria, it's gotten to the point where it is being done with complete impunity. There is no public announcement explaining or apologizing for misappropriation of funds. There is no legal recourse. There is nothing. Literally, the weirdest, the most hilarious stories come out to explain away billions being carted away by some political actors. And we'll let it slide because we're used to it. Monkeys have stolen billions, as have snakes swallowed billions, goats have eaten billions. And these are literal true stories. These were carried by national news that monkeys carted away billions from the national treasury. That goats ate billions that snakes swallowed billions. The billions were spent to fumigate the National Assembly and the White House and to eliminate rats and rodents from these places. These are not made up. These are true stories. It's weird. It's borderline insane. How did we get here? How did we get to a point 
where there is no longer any sophistication needed to explain away the impunity with which the corruption is being carried out. When our leaders can't even be bothered to make the story plausible. Well, one could argue that it's because we have terrible leaders. But we the masses have also been here accepting these stupid, frankly stupid stories. Why do we accept them? Can we do anything about them? The institutions that are supposed to be there to provide recourse to the masses, to provide a level playing field so, such that regardless of stature or political connection or wealth, we all are subject to the same set of rules and before the law we are equal. Well, not in Nigeria. Because Neither the legislative arm of government nor the judicial arm of government, or even the fourth state, the media, can boast of being neutral. Take a case of the courts and hear sorts of stories as long as you don't have the right connections. The judge will put the case just as I was about to go on his vacation, and then the next judge cannot sit on it because this judge has already placed the case and then you have to wait for the judge to come back and then he comes back and he puts the case where he has to be somewhere else and they just play you round and around and the case will never lead to a conclusion a ruling and even when it does lead to a ruling if the ruling doesn't favor the political class they can completely ignore it the chief justice of the nation has ignored supreme court rulings multiple times what kind of nation are we running a nation so corrupt that there remains no pretense of honesty. And what's worse, these kleptocrats typically don't invest their loot in the country. Of course, where will they? There is no structure, no economic structure for that loot to either be protected or to yield for their economic return. Of course, they live in fear. In fear that the moment they lose power, the next person who cuts into power would seize all these things back from them. And it is this fear that makes them take these loots to foreign lands where their, infrastructure, where their systems are, are much more efficient. Take these loots to foreign lands where their institutions are more stable, where their laws work, where the sanctity of ownership, of property, and economic wealth is maintained. They take these loots and take them to other countries to develop other claims for the plunge in our nation into the abyss. How then can our nation develop when the wealth that comes from the commodities that we are blessed with cannot even remain here to develop those commodities into finished products, or at least some way down the, down the, 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 the value added chain. How can we grow as a nation? When each person is there for himself, for his stomach and his pockets, and all they can think about is how to protect that from the next person, because you know, the next person that comes in will come in for their own stomach and pockets.
and if they can't, they will steal everything the first person has stolen. Because the first person steals, takes them somewhere else where they feel they are better protected. Of course, when they die, Abacha's loot is still being repatriated to Nigeria. Literally, it's being paid like dividends now. Every year we get some, we hear some news about some millions of dollars coming in from Switzerland as part of the Abacha loot. Isn't that crazy? These are monies that, as far back as 1999, could have been used to develop this nation. Now imagine how many more have been looted since then. From our successive governments, there's been a series of rampaging loots. Nigeria's economy has been on a steep and steady decline because every single political actor, bar none for the world, maybe not every, because I'm keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that they've been or that there are some good eggs, some good apples amongst them. But since, literally since independence, our political class have been there to serve themselves, not to serve the nation. And therefore, we have been on a steep, sharp, consistent, steady decline into the abyss. Literally into the abyss. There was a time when we were the pride of Africa. When we were a growing economy, our population was getting better and better educated. When we were forced to be reckoned with. How far away that time is. How long ago it seems. Now... Our children no longer go to schools because they cannot afford to go to schools. Even the government schools, the primary schools, which have been made free for most parts of Nigeria, the children still can't afford to go to school because they need to be fed and their parents cannot afford enough money to feed them. So the children have to work. This child labor is for sure unpaid. They work for the privilege to eat. And if they spend their days working, when will they study in school? Of course, they cannot afford it. And even the schools are in a sorry state, a pitiful state. Not many can go through those schools and learn anything tangible. How then can we harness the value of our immense and growing population? If this population is uneducated, unskilled, and young, is it any surprise that the crime rate is increasing rapidly? What do you expect youth to do when they cannot work? Of course they must feed, and they cannot depend on their parents. So how then will they feed? What do you think they will do? They will steal. No wonder Yahoo and G and those kind of things are on the rise in Nigeria. Of course, there are many ways of justifying them. They say, oh, the white man has taken from us, we're taking it back. All that bullshit. The reality is that it is. it shouldn't be surprising to anyone. When you have the terrible combination of a youthful population who are uneducated and unskilled, with an economy that has record unemployment rates, with a minimum wage that cannot sustain anybody, let alone families. With terrible
ट्रिपल डी पोलर्स वॉट यू थिंक दिट सर The bulk of the youth cannot go to school, cannot get skills that would enable them to be employable. And those that do go to school go to terrible schools, and they're not well trained unless they train themselves outside the confines of the school. And even when they do, and they come out, they don't have jobs because unemployment is at an all-time high. And even the few that manage to get jobs. The minimum wage is pittance, literally pittance. Nobody can survive on thirty thousand naira a month. And for the few who manage to earn above minimum wage, however little above minimum wage, they are treated so terribly at the workplace because there are no labor laws to protect them. They have no recourse, nowhere to go, nobody to help when they are being maltreated. What do you expect from this kind of setup? Recently, there was this series of news going around on Twitter. It started with the amazing investigative work by Tech Cabal around the work culture in Bento, a startup in Nigeria, and how terribly toxic it is. Yet, people stayed back because. There is no guarantee of getting another job when you leave. And in the leading on from that story, there were series of stories coming out across social media about the terrible work culture people endure in Nigeria, and it goes across sectors, from tech to banking to FMCG, everywhere. No sector was spared, and it's saddening because the fact that it is spread across literally points to something more structural, and it's not far-fetched. We don't have any employee protection in the country. Therefore, HRs are like demigods wherever they are, and CEOs. They act with impunity because they know that nobody can hold them. To account, nobody can hold them accountable because the laws are not being enforced. And of course, the Nigerian judicial system always supports the wealthier. They don't care who's right, just who's paying, who's lining pockets. Therefore, no real case against an employer really sees the light of day. What do the employees then do? In some cases, they were even threatened by the police. Threatened with the police. So, if the police are supposed to help, and the ones being used to perpetuate their abuse, what then can the employees do? What do you think they would do? Like any typical human being, they will try to keep their head low and work, regardless of the toxicity, because they know that reporting will only place a target on their backs. And they have very slim chances of winning any case in court. All they will end up doing is wasting money, leaving the target on their backs, and being unable to make money. They can't leave because if they leave, they can't find something else. And who would feed their families? Who would feed them? Who would take care of them? So what do they do? 
they put their heads down, take the abuse, and get to work. Because they know nothing. It's easy to continue talking about the situations, problems, challenges all across Nigeria that can be traced directly to the kleptocratic system of democracy or politics that we're running. However, I hope that we can find some sort of solution. I hope we can do something about it. And I've been reading about what can be done, what really can be done. I think the first clue to what we can do can be found in kleptocracies themselves. You'd realize that most kleptocracies are commodity dependent. Yes, they are commodity dependent economies and the reasons are not far-fetched. Because commodities are easy to trade, you know, extract and trade. And because most kleptocrats are often very lazy, they are not willing to add value to the economy. All they want is to seek rent and collect and loot. Therefore, they depend very much on commodities, things they can easily extract and sell and keep the money for themselves. And also because commodities seem unlimited because we don't have any way to factually track or for populists to keep track of that. All they do is, when you're in power, you can extract as much as you can, sell as much as you can, keep as much money as you can before you leave power. So it makes sense that most cryptocurrencies are commodity-dependent economies. Now, what does this mean? It means one way to minimize the cryptocurrency influence in our economy as Nigerians is by reducing our dependence on commodities. So we need to go from a commodity-based economy further up, as far up as possible, all the way to a service-based economy. And this is where you and I, albeit how helpless we feel, can help. Because if the next Google and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft were to come out of Nigeria, they would add a significant amount of value to the economy value that the government will struggle to seek rent from because they aren't commodities that they can extract and sell and keep the profits. But they are companies who are truly adding value to the economy. I'm grateful and I'm glad that the startup space in Nigeria is booming. And I think that is the first step towards collecting Nigeria from the grip of these kleptocrats. We need to eliminate our dependence on commodities. We need to go further up the food chain. Either by processing those commodities and selling the finished goods, or by completely exiting that space and switching all the way to service-based. These two things would move us further and further away from cryptocurrency and true democracy. The question is how? Thankfully, the startup culture that is booming is one way. That's not the only way. Agricultural processing, not farming itself, but the processing is one great way to achieve this. 
I would have said crude oil processing, crude oil refining, but one of our refineries have ever worked. Despite billions and billions being funneled into them, they end up being just a mechanism for losing. That and the fact that the world is gradually moving away from fossil fuels mean that in all likelihood, our dependence on crude oil will be forced to be eliminated. I hope it is forced to be eliminated because crude oil is one of the things that have cost us. And when the world moves to green energy, then we are forced to move away from crude, perhaps into refining or processing other raw materials that we have, like coal and palm oil and the rest of them. Or even better, building out our service based economy, our financial economy, our technological economy, and other service based economies. This, I think, is the first step towards wrestling. Nigeria back from these kleptocrats and building a good nation for us all. Of course, law enforcement will not help us, at least not in the way it currently is structured. Sometime down the line, when we can wrest some power back from these kleptocrats, maybe we can have law enforcement help us. But two things mean that it will be difficult for them to help us right now. One is that about 99.9% of cases to detect money laundering by kleptocrats are failed by law enforcement. I'll take that again. Law enforcement fails to detect about 99.9% of money laundering cases by kleptocrats. So this means that the ones that we see, the ones that we hear, like they are bachelors, like the snakes and the dogs and the monkeys and the goats eating up billions are all part of the 0.1% that happen to be detected. The Zianis all part of the 0.1%. Now if all this huge money is a part of the 0.1%, imagine how much have been going by undetected. How useless law enforcement is to us. Well, the second one bears no repeating, but I'll repeat it regardless. On 20th October 2020, Nigerian army, members of the Nigerian army, shot down Nigerian protesters in cold blood at the lucky toll gates because they were waving the flag, the Nigerian flag, singing the Nigerian national anthem and asking the members of the special anti-robbery squad and a division of the police force to stop killing Nigerian youths. Nigerians were mowed down in cold blood. Nigerian youths were mowed down in cold blood for demanding that Nigerian youths should no longer be killed. Is that the law enforcement that we want to put our hopes in? Hell no. We have to take matters into our hands. One way, like I mentioned earlier, is by building out the service-based economy of Nigeria. By building financial systems, by building technological systems, and building processing systems and other ways of building out and divesting Nigeria's economy from an over-dependency on natural resources. It won't be easy, it won't be straightforward, but it's one way. Another way is by utilizing our, our right to vote. Well, we all know that the vote will be rigged anyway. 
However, we also know that the wicked is not always about snatching ballot boxes. Because our votes are beginning to count more and more, the wicked has to get slightly more sophisticated. And by sophistication, I mean they have to move from complete brute force of snatching ballot boxes to, in many cases, offering people 1,000 naira for their votes. Of course, that itself is another sad phenomenon. The Nigerians are so poor, they are willing to sell our votes for 1,000 naira? But that's the sad reality of the nation. But the good news is that the fact that they are willing to spend that money to buy the votes rather than just snatch the ballot box shows that ballot box snatching is becoming increasingly less effective as a means of rigging the elections. And that our votes are beginning to count more and more. So what do we do? We need to go and vote. Because for every additional person who goes out to vote, that is an additional reason why our votes would count. And the more of us go out to vote, the more of us exercise this franchise that we have to vote. The more voters turn out, the less likely brute force rigging occurs, and the more likely our votes count, and our votes need to count. Because when our votes count, and we can improve transparency on these misappropriations, God bless Sonic Minde and his team for the work they do on budgets. But when we increase transparency on these things and our votes count, then we can vote people depending on how trustworthy they've proven in the past. And that incentivizes people to become more trustworthy in the future. All this because we went out to vote. So what else can we do? We can go out to vote. Because when we go out to vote, then our votes are more likely to count. And when they count, then these political actors are incentivized to win our You know, human beings are inherently selfish. Therefore, most of us respond to incentive structures. And well, Nigerian politicians have proven to be even more selfish than most. Therefore, maybe we can use the selfishness to our advantage. Go with me on this journey. Why do they loot and steal? Because in their selfishness, they want all the fine things of this world. They want to be the richest, you know, they want to be the most powerful, they want to control things, etc. And they also realize that the way to stop them from looting and stealing is by building strong institutions. Therefore, they ensure that they suppress these institutions. I have a personal example. My parents invested some money in union homes. Fixed deposits, you know. Hardworking civil servants trying to save up some money for the future. When my dad retired, actually when he was about to retire, he was working on the project at the time, building up the house. He applied to get some of his money that he saved in these fixed deposits. And still we started. His money was about 5 million at the time. They offered him 100,000 here, 50,000 there. Useless pittance. He kept pushing for it until unfortunately he passed. My mom started pushing for it. Offered her 50,000 here, 100,000 here. The money was about 6 point something million at this time. And she asked, just liquidate the money. 
and give me my money. Our stories were everywhere. I tried to call the police. Took it to court, took it to us. Nothing worked. Till today, till date. When these people are someone to court, they don't come. When they are someone to national assembly, they don't come. And that's it. Like, literally. The monies are just hanging in limbo. No longer even accruing interest and being able to redress them. That's what happens when we have weak institutions. And because of this, these political elites can act with impunity because they know they'll win the recompense. So yeah, they're very smart. And they systemically crippled the institutions such that they cannot hold them accountable. Maybe we can change this. It starts with the votes. Now, because they know that they don't need the votes, they crippled that structure as well, the electoral structure, such that they can easily just rig and get into power. But now that rigging is proving more and more difficult because more and more people are turning out to votes, they are now able to buy votes. You know, I was also systemically, systemically done. Because bulk of Nigerians are impoverished, buying votes is cheap. A thousand naira can buy votes. So a million naira buys a thousand votes. Hundred million, hundred thousand votes. A billion naira buys a million votes. You see? But what if a thousand naira can no longer buy votes? What if we empower ourselves economically to the point where to buy a vote, you probably would spend 10,000 naira. Suddenly, the math becomes more daunting. Because to get a million votes, rather than spending 1 billion, now you spend 10 billion. What if it becomes 50,000 or 100,000 to buy a vote? You see how the math works in our favor? How do we make this work? Now, as we empower ourselves economically, true. The service economy and not the commodity economy that they have control over. We just have to empower those around us economically. Because we aren't that many, they are more. So if we empower ourselves and build structures that empower others around us economically, then we have some bare minimum and we can now afford to say no to 1,000 naira votes and to say no to 10,000 naira votes. And they need to spend more and more money to buy these votes. And at some point, the math just won't make any more sense. And they'll be forced to convince us to give them their our votes freely. And how did they do this? By fixing something. By doing something right. So if we can empower ourselves economically, that's our individual selves and those around us, and also exercise our franchise to vote, then we can do something about this situation. About the cryptocratic way our country is being run. Then we can wrestle back power because power belongs to us, the people. Then there may be some hope for the future, some hope for Nigeria. And maybe, just maybe, Nigeria can once again lay claim to the title of Giant of Africa. And maybe this time, we would go one step further than giants of Africa and will become true giants globally.
I'm a real force in the global scheme of things. Maybe I'm having a pipe dream. But a young man can dream, can't he? A young man can dream of a better Nigeria. In Nigeria, where he can walk around proudly displaying his green passport. Without fear or worry that he will be prejudiced against. That he will be treated unfairly, especially because he's Nigerian. Where a young Nigerian man will be welcome wherever he goes. Hold his head high. His shoulders square. And walk with pride. And when he's asked, he would say, I am a Nigerian. And it will mean something. Thanks for listening. Every week, I use this section to either respond to a question or make a prediction. This week, my prediction is hinged on two things. One is the global relaxation on COVID-19 induced lockdowns or requirements. Yeah, I think that's the right word to use. COVID-19 guidelines and requirements for travel. Across the world, we've been seeing and hearing governments relaxing their requirements for travel. Most of them relaxing the mask query mandates, relaxing restrictions on businesses, public gathering, relaxing restrictions on entertainment sectors, and eliminating the need for pre-travel negative PCR tests for vaccinated people. I think this is as much a response to the improvement in management of COVID-19 as it is a response to the global economic downward spiral as a result of the Russia-Ukraine war. Now, countries are obviously struggling, struggling because of the ripple effects of the war, particularly on the price of crude, which has an almost direct correlation to the economic situation in most countries and therefore the rising rapidly rising price of crude has led to rapidly rising inflation across many countries as a result these governments have decided to try to stimulate trade to pull back down these inflationary effects they've opened up their borders to encourage trade to and fro stimulate this however and here is a prediction i don't think many of them would work but for the individuals who will be grateful i'm grateful that now the cost of flights no longer doubles because i have to do four covid tests each time i fly now i have to do none i'm grateful for that i'm grateful that land borders are now open as well as sea borders in addition to the previously open air borders because that means I can also do cross-country road trips rather than always air trips, which are way more expensive. I'm grateful for that. However, I don't think the economies will bounce back. These are not enough to bounce back the economies because there's still a lot of upward pressure on the price of crude. And this pressure will still pull inflation up in many countries, particularly those who are dependent, like ours, Nigeria and Ghana, for instance. Um, commodity sales 
And since we can unfortunately not maximize our crude export to take advantage of the rising price of crude, and we have to import finished petroleum products, which are directly affected by the rising price of crude, inflation will continue to rise steeply. And for any other country who is a net importer of crude or petroleum products, and I think this will continue for the rest of this year, the year 2022. I think 2022 will be a depressed year economically, globally. But hopefully, 2023 will begin to bounce back. Because I do not envisage this world based on listening to different experts in quotes. I do not envisage this world lasting beyond the month of May. And the rest of the year would be to try to gain, gain stability, to re establish trade routes to re-establish supply channels. Therefore, this year will be a depressed year economically. And hopefully, maybe, just maybe the world can begin to bounce back next year. Thanks for listening. As always, if you like it, if you enjoyed it, please share with a friend or two. But if you didn't, please tell me why and share with an enemy or two. To share any questions, comments, thoughts, predictions of your own, click the link in the show notes and just record. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.